0: If Russia does decide to invade Ukraine within the next 48, 72, or however many hours remain for that country to uh, be able to do what it wants to do, we don't really know what the United States can do. If you're an American citizen and you happen to be in Ukraine or a citizen of any country other than being Ukrainian or Russian, it is advised that you leave the country. That is what the U.S. National Security Advisor had to say in a briefing at the White House uh, yesterday. And we're going to replay a little portion of it to tell you just how drastic it is. Remember, if the Russians invade, there's no way the U.S. military is going to be able to go in and get you out. There's no way any other force is going to be able to go in and get you out.
1: If you stay, you are assuming risk. With no guarantee that there will be any other opportunity to leave.
0: That's Jake Sullivan. He is the uh, White House National Security Advisor to President Biden.
1: And there's no prospect of a U.S. military evacuation in the event of a Russian invasion.
0: Okay, so let's
2: be
1: clear there.
0: Uh, what exactly does he mean? What exactly does he say? He means there is no possibility that the U.S. military is going to be able to go in while the Russian military is invading to be able to get citizens out. So if you are an American citizen, get
1: out. No guarantee that there will be any other opportunity to leave. And there's no prospect of a U.S. military evacuation in the event of a Russian invasion. If a Russian attack on Ukraine proceeds... It is likely to begin with aerial bombing and missile attacks that could obviously kill civilians without regard to their nationality. A subsequent ground invasion would involve the onslaught of a massive force. With virtually no notice, communications to arrange a departure could be severed and commercial transit halted. No one would be able to count on air or rail or road departures once military action got underway.
0: So that is what uh, Jake Sullivan, the U.S. National Security Advisor is saying some people are saying it's, you know, it's mega wag the dog time. And, you know, it, this is just basically the Biden administration trying to deal with very low ratings as far as, uh, you know, their their national uh, 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 image is concerned because because the vast majority of people are saying this. Now, now earlier today on Fox and Friends, I do listen to Fox. I used to do reports to them. You know, they, they, they had a, a former uh, CIA station chief talking about this invasion warning and what it all means. Well, let's listen into that.
2: President Biden has made it clear that we don't want to risk some sort of a war with Russia uh, by going into Ukraine. And and look, we all know in the fog of war, Pete, you know this from your experience uh, serving in war zones, in the fog of war, just about anything can happen and what we do. So this is
0: Dan Hoffman. He used to be the station chief uh, for the Central Intelligence Agency, basically the head of a CIA unit, uh, I believe he was in Moscow some years back. He's now a contributor working under contract with uh, News Corp, particularly Fox News. He's talking about the situation in Ukraine and uh, you know what an invasion warning means, what, what this whole situation uh, really uh, links to. Uh, Americans have been told that they have 24 to 48 hours, 72 tops. So if you're in the country and you're listening to this podcast, you happen to be in Ukraine, no matter how cool that babe looks hey take her over the border (laughs) you know the safest place and the safest direction to go in the event of a russian invasion if you are an american citizen i hate to say this would probably be belarus or the russian border uh because that would be the least traveled route make sure you have your u.s passport held up high make sure you don't lose it make copies of the uh of of everything also not know when.
2: Yeah, so the U.S. position is that the military will not save Americans in the event of an invasion. Is is that the right call? Well, we don't have that capacity, and uh, the President Biden has made it clear that we don't want to risk some sort of a of war with Russia uh, by going into Ukraine. And, and look, we all know in the fog of war, Pete. You know this from your experience uh, serving in war zones. In the fog of war, just about anything can happen. And, so basically what they're saying is, you know, uh, obviously the United
0: States has no intention of sending in troops uh, that can get into a conflict with Russia. Uh, Russia has about 200,000 troops along its border with Ukraine, and it does have a border with Ukraine. They were one country for thousand years or something. Eventually, Ukraine breaking away and forming its its own uh, nation state. But, but they have a massive, uh, you know, large uh, element there and uh you know you you do see uh you do see a lot of that
2: coming in and out so you know that's that's the situation there to russia particularly in the donbass to give that region veto power over ukraine's foreign policy or he's going to take an extraordinary risk here uh of causing massive civilian casualties uh and to his own armed forces as well and and that's the at the heart of this for our intelligence community we're seeing a lot of intelligence but intelligence is never certain And uh, up until Vladimir Putin's uh, troops fire the first shot at Ukraine, you know, we're just not going to know for sure what uh, Putin's plans are.
3: Dan Hoffman, thank you for that insight
0: this morning, Dan.
2: So, you know, that was Dan Hoffman on
0: uh, Fox and Friends uh, earlier uh, this morning, uh, being a Saturday morning here or Saturday in the United States. As, uh, you know, people are obviously, uh, you know, uh, very, very concerned about what is, what is happening, uh, not just on the border with, with Canada and, uh, that situation there, but also with the, with the situation, um, you know, further up and along the way, as, uh, as people have been, uh, you know, concerned about this whole thing over the past, uh, number of, number of days and, and, uh, and weeks as, uh, people, uh, you know, talk about it and, and, and raise those, uh, those issues. And, uh, you know, there, there was basically what has happened up in Canada, which we t- t- talked about in an earlier podcast, was uh, that, that there was a decision to uh, hold back on, uh, on, on pulling out by many of the truckers and what exactly uh, that all meant for, for them at that time. Uh, I am going to take you now. To an interview that took place with the uh, 44th president of the United States and uh, basically his thoughts on this matter
4: is, uh, when they watched Afghanistan and they watched the most incompetent withdrawal in the history of probably any army let alone just us, uh, uh, they saw that and uh, President Xi and President Putin watch what happens
0: with China versus that uh, mm-hmm. uh, with so, you know, what, what President or former President Trump, rather, is saying here is that, uh, you know, there, there, there are a lot of situations that, that we have to consider. And with this situation in Ukraine, uh, other nations uh, could attempt to uh, to take part in it. Uh, here's more again of that interview that started a little while ago.
5: Let's start with, with the headline we've had all morning long. Uh, you know, what's happening in Russia, what's happening in Ukraine, the White House right now is saying an attack could happen at any time. On your assessment, where are we and and how did we get here?
4: Well, first of all, it's shocking because this should have never happened. That should have never happened. It would not have happened. And uh, how we got here is uh, when they watched Afghanistan and they watched the most incompetent withdrawal in the history of probably any army, let alone just us. Uh, They saw that and uh, President Xi and President Putin, watch what happens with China versus uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, with Taiwan, but uh, they watched that and they said, uh, what's going on? They don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, I think they got a lot more, more ambitious. I think Putin really wanted to negotiate for a period of time. I think when he watched Afghanistan, when he watched that unbelievably bad withdrawal, incompetent, where they took the military out first, where they left $85 billion worth of equipment behind for the Taliban to have and to
3: sell and to use. And then, uh, of course, the death, the death that happened. When they watched all of that, I think they got emboldened. President Trump, Joe Biden is scheduled to be on a call today with Vladimir Putin. What do you think he can say? What should he say? If you were in office today, what would you say to Vladimir Putin?
4: Well, I, I wouldn't be in this position because we're in a very bad position right now. And it would have, as I said, it would never have happened. I know him very well. Got along with him very well. I stopped his pipeline. I sanctioned them more than anybody ever sanctioned them. Nobody was ever tougher in Russia, but I got along with Putin very well. We respected each other. Uh, I think you have a whole different ball game right now. This is just an exercise. He's not gonna tell them anything. And I don't think Putin's at this point going to be listening. It's gonna be very interesting to see what he does in terms of the uh, the depth. What he, Will he take a small piece? Uh, when Biden originally said uh, he's going in, Everybody was like, Did he just say that? Nobody could believe it, but he said it. And it was almost like a card. Uh Ukraine went crazy when he when he saw that when they heard that the president. But uh now uh, the phone call I, I think is
2: Republicans have introduced a bill that would block aid to Ukraine uh, until our southern border is secure. The thinking is, why would we be worried about a border in Europe when there is a disaster happening right here at home? Do you think that those two issues should be linked?
4: Well, I certainly understand how people feel. We had the strongest border we've ever had, our southern border. We were three weeks away from finishing the wall after going through two and a half years of lawsuits with the Democrats and winning the ball. We were two and a half, three weeks away from, think of it, finishing the wall, which is largely, frankly, finished anyway. It's a tremendous help. We had the best numbers in the history of our country on the southern border. Very little was coming in. Very few people were coming in. Other than coming in legally, we had the lowest drug numbers, the best drug numbers in the last 32 years, and they were getting much better rapidly. And all of a sudden, uh, this guy takes over and the border is open and we have millions of people. I think it's 10 million, they say 3 million. But uh, people coming in, countries all over the world, are releasing their prisoners into our country like a dumping ground. So I can certainly understand how people feel when they say, uh, you know, let's try and tie one to the other. You know, we fight for other people's borders, but we don't fight for our own border. We had the strongest, the most secure border we've ever had at the South and uh, and Mexico was, uh, was great to me. They uh, helped us, they gave us 28,000 soldiers free of charge, because otherwise we would have, as you know, tariffed all of their cars and things coming in. And we got along great with Mexico, we had the Mexico, stay in Mexico policy, now it's called stay in the United States, whoever you are, just come on in, uh, no, it's, uh, it's a very terrible. Thing. And I, I must tell you, I do understand how they feel when we're fighting for other countries,
5: but we're not fighting for our own. Yeah, Mr. President, not only are we fighting for our own, we're facilitating that transportation with secret flights in the middle of the night, things uh, you, you've heard about as well. But I want to go to our other border, if we can, Mr. President, and the idea of, of truckers and the trucker freedom convoy that's happening there, not just in Ottawa, but now on trade routes along the Canadian border. You've heard what, you know, you call them Justin from Canada, what Justin Trudeau has said about them. He's characterized them as 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 racist, as as bigots. Um, But their message has been clear from the beginning, Mr. President. The list of their demands has been terminate vaccine passports, terminate vaccine mandates and stop the divisive rhetoric. They've been straightforward. They want freedom. What's your message to both the Freedom Convoy and Justin Trudeau?
4: People all over the world are watching and they have respect for what they're doing. They're tired of being pushed around by being told what to do, being forced with the mandate. The mandates should have not happened. I mean, I'm very proud of Warp Speed. Everybody has given us credit. Nobody thought it was possible to do what we did. And that includes therapeutics, by the way. Regeneron and the various therapeutics that work so well. But uh, what we did with Warp Speed was great. But the mandates are very, very bad, very, very bad. And uh, I think there's a lot of respect for what they're doing. I see they have Trump signs all over the place and I'm, I'm proud that they do, but uh, that's what happens. You can push people so far and our country is a tinderbox too, don't kid yourself. And uh, there are plenty of our country up there right now. But the uh, When you look at what's happening, when you look at what's happening in Canada, our country I think is far more of a tinderbox than Canada.
3: President Trump, we're watching blue states begin the process of loosening restrictions across the country. In my one chance to interview in the past, President Trump, I asked you about Dr. Fauci. You were at the front end on so many things as we panicked as a nation. You talked about balancing the shutdowns against our economy. And I asked you at that time about Dr. Fauci and the way the public viewed him. And you were beginning at that time to express some skepticism. I'm curious, and I'm not trying to give you the answer ahead of time. But I'm curious, if you look back on the past two years, some of which was under your watch, when it comes to COVID, what would you have done? What would you do differently if put in the same position? With, with perfect hindsight, what, if anything, would you do yeah. differently?
4: Well, we haven't been given credit, but we're starting to get credit. Warp speed was phenomenal. Uh, I closed up the country to China. I closed up the country to Europe. That was incredible and i filled the shelves i filled up the covers of the state which they were unable to do themselves you had some very competent governors and you had some very incompetent governors but you know i i went around with the covers were bare and they were as far as pouches and that was a big thing the ventilators and all of the equipment and all of the things that we we're able to get from goggles to uh, clothing and the plastic and we 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 did an amazing job got no credit for it but everything is stocked. And right now, the whole country is stocked for something like this. We that the country, and this is long before I got there, was not prepared. Fauci, however, was not a big factor with me. Uh, he is a big factor now because Biden chose to make him such. But he was not a big factor with me. Uh, he said he didn't want to close to, as you know very strongly, because we talked about this, uh, he didn't want to close up to China, which was heavily infected. He didn't want to close up to Europe, which was heavily infected. Uh, Four months later, he said that President Trump made a great decision and saved perhaps hundreds of thousands of lives. Because I was really a a single vote. I had 21 people in a room and none of them wanted to close it down, but I did because I saw what was happening in China and in Europe. Uh, Fauci did not play as big a role with me. He played actually a, a pretty light role. And if you also notice, oftentimes when he would say something, I'd do the opposite.
0: Which so you know, uh, former President Trump there talking about you know the uh, rambling all uh, issues of uh you know the COVID uh, topic, uh, also what's happening with the truckers in Canada, and a whole lot more. Meanwhile, we are going to take a look and listen as to some of the other uh, things coming up, uh, some of the uh, briefings that took place with regards to the situation in the border with Ukraine. Let's listen to the uh, national security advisor of the United States, uh, speaking uh, at length on this topic from yesterday.
5: You. So you and other administration officials have been quite transparent in describing the strategy towards Ukraine to us, the press. Do you believe that that strategy is actually helping
3: uh, to reduce tensions, or, or do you feel that, that that may be part of the reason why it's boxing Vladimir Putin even further uh, in, in airing your strategy so publicly like
1: this? So, uh, only one country has amassed more than 100,000 troops on the border of another country with all of the capabilities and capacities to conduct an invasion. That country is Russia. That country is not the United States. So the fastest way to de-escalate this situation for all involved would be for Russia to choose to de-escalate its mobilization of forces. The United States is responding uh, to the active, sustained buildup of military pressure on Ukraine. We are doing so in lockstep with allies and partners. And at the same time, we have been extremely forward-leaning in our willingness to engage in diplomacy to address the mutual concerns of Russia, the Europeans, and the United States when it comes to European security.
5: Thank you so much, Jake. Uh, Two questions for you. Next week, Vice President is going to Germany for the Munich Security Conference. Why isn't President Biden going? Uh, Wouldn't it be a good time to engage with his allies in person? Uh, Is he doing enough to avoid a war? And the second question, next week, the Brazilian president is going to Russia to meet with Vladimir Putin. Uh, How does the White House uh, see this visit and the timing of this visit? And do you guys expect anything from the Brazilian president during his meeting?
1: If you simply looked at a catalog of the engagements the president has had with his allies and partners, including the engagement he had today, that catalog alone would be a rebuttal to the proposition that he's not doing enough to rally the West and to offer Russia uh, a credible diplomatic path out of this. Uh, that's included phone calls, it's included meetings, it's included video conferences, uh, it's included just countless sustained effort over the course of months. Uh, and we will continue with that and we're also very proud to have the vice president representing the american delegation at the munich security conference
5: about the brazilian president uh, meeting vladimir putin next
1: week uh. the brazilian president is obviously you know free to Conduct his own diplomacy with other countries, including with Russia, and I, I really don't have anything else to add on it White, today. Is yes. Uh, thanks, Jake. You mentioned the possibility of a, an assault on Kiev specifically. What is your sense if Putin does decide to invade Ukraine? Is he looking to invade and take over the entire country or a part like Crimea in 2014? And just one follow up as well how do you explain the disconnect between? the rhetoric that we're hearing, or the, the warnings we're hearing from you and other Western countries, and what seems to be a playing down of the risk from Ukraine itself? So, I'm, I won't speak to the, the decisions that the Ukrainian leadership is making in terms of how they're communicating on this issue. I will only say that we are coordinating extremely closely with them. President Biden has spoken multiple times with President Zelensky. I speak, Uh, nearly every day uh, with senior aides to President Zelensky, Secretary Blinken is deeply engaged with both his counterpart and the President in Kyiv. So we will continue that level of coordination, sharing of information across every dimension of our government. Uh, But I can't characterize why it is that they're choosing their course. I can only say that, based on the information we have, we've chosen uh, to be uh, as transparent as possible with what we see as a significant risk uh, of military action in Ukraine. And as to your other question, I can't obviously predict what the exact shape or scope of the military action will be. As I said before, it could take a variety of forms. Uh, It could be more limited. It could be more expansive. Um, But there are very real possibilities uh, that it will involve the seizure of a significant amount of territory in Ukraine and the the seizure of major cities, including the capital city. Uh, because this is getting so close now and the concern that you're you're weighing towards the American people, is there a need to provide some underlying evidence of just what you're seeing that shows Americans this is a country that went through Iraq and and concerns about what the intelligence is showing. Does the administration see a need to just provide underlying intelligence? Well, let me just start with a fundamental distinction between the situation in Iraq and the situation today. In the situation in Iraq, intelligence was used and deployed from this very podium to start a war. We are trying to stop a war, to prevent a war, to, an, to avert a war. And all we can do is come here before you and give good faith and share everything that we know to the best of our ability while protecting sources and methods so we continue to get the access to intelligence we need. But there's another big difference between what happened in 2003 and what's happening in 2022, and that is, in that case, It was information about intentions, about uh, hidden things, stuff that couldn't be seen. Today, we are talking about more than 100,000 Russian troops amassed along the Ukrainian border with every capacity out there in the open for people to see. It's all over social media. It's all over your news sites. So you can believe your own eyes that the Russians have put in place the capabilities to conduct a massive military operation against Ukraine, should they choose to do so. And then finally, I would just say, if you look at the course of the past few months, as we have said, we predict there will be a buildup of this kind. Our information is telling us that the Russians are likely to move in these ways. Thus far, in November, in December, in January, that has borne out. So I think when you take all of that together, we put forward a credible case. But it's not my job to stand up here and convince any of you of anything. It's it's your job to ask the questions and do what you can do. All I can do is, based on the best information I have available, that I can share, that the President can share, the Secretary of State can share, put that out there uh, in close consultation with our allies and partners, that's what we've done.
3: At yes. what point, Jake, would you expect the country would hear directly from the president on this, and and the risk to world order of Vladimir Putin rolling tanks or bombing a, a foreign capital?
1: Well, first, the, the country has heard from the president directly on the Ukraine subject many times over the course of the past three months, and they will continue to. So, uh, it's not like. Uh, President Biden has been silent on this question. He has been very vocal on it. He has spoken to every aspect of it. Uh, he has read out his calls on it with world leaders, his meetings, etc. Um, but he will continue to speak directly to the American people as we watch uh, the situation no unfold. No
3: plans for any kind of address to the nation from the Oval Office. No kind of speech specifically about this issue with prepared remarks.
1: I, I don't have anything to announce in terms of uh, uh, speech or prepared remarks at this point. Yeah.